Well, good. We started out Psalm 19 last week and covered verses 1 through 6, and we saw the glory of God in the world. The glory of God shown in creation, in the observable world. We saw in particular the consistency of God speaking through His creation, as well the comprehensive nature of it. No one can escape God speaking throughout His creation. And every time I study a passage like that, dealing with God's creation, I'm changed. I'm moved. You, you can't study a passage about the glory of God in creation and not be moved and not be changed. And I know many of you came up to me and said, man, Aaron, I got outdoors. Because David called us last week to, remember, look around and look up. And so last week, what I did is uh, on Monday, I got the old, uh, old road bike out. Haven't, rode, haven't ridden my road bike in a couple years. And I thought, man, I used to love getting on my road bike and just traveling around in God's creation because we got some great trails up here to get up in the mountains. And so I got on my road bike and I got out and I was just, I was just cruising around and, and put some miles in. I was listening to some great music, uh, worship music. Uh, got bands like the Zach Brown Band, right? That great country worship music, right? Amen. Can I, get a, can I get a hand raised? Because I'm listening to songs like Chicken Fried and Toes in the Sand, right? And he's singing about sunrises and sunsets and oceans and beaches and trees and, and good food and fried chicken. And I'm like, yes, Lord, amen. I'm looking around. I'm seeing the cows eat the grass and be like, you're going to be a steak later on for me sometime in this year. You know, I'm enjoying creation. But I also felt the effects of living in creation in the Genesis 3 world because my body wasn't what it used to be a couple years ago. I got that old man disease, right? My chest is dropped into my drawers. And so um, I was like, oh, gosh, this is hard. And, and the only way I can sum it up is, well, this is how my kids will sum it up. It's like I was like, jeez, you know, like, oh, my God, all the young kids. I got the old people looking at me like crazy. All the young folks just started laughing because they know exactly what I'm talking about. But it was good. The Word of God changes you to get out in creation. And we talked about it was general revelation. It's a, but it's a limited revelation, right? A general revelation. God's declaring His glory in creation. Tells us that there is a God, but it's insufficient. It can't save us. We need something more specific to tell us on who that God is and what He requires of us. Therefore, in the Lord's loving kindness, he gave us what's called specific or special revelation. That's what we're looking at today in verses 7 through 14. This is, this is the part where God reveals himself specifically so that we can know him personally. He, he reveals himself through the written word and then also through his son, the living word. Specific or special revelation is the way that God reveals himself with clarity and with fullness so that we might know who he is. And it surpasses general revelation. Real quick, special revelation. Uh, the written word gives us the name of the creator. We, we look outside and we see the beauty of God's creation. We're like, who created that? The scriptures, the written word gives us his name. He is Yahweh. He's the covenant keeping Lord. The, the word gives us uh, the overarching story of human history. From beginning to present and now to the end, we talk it about around here. It's the creation, fall, uh, redemption and restoration of human history. So it gives us the history of this world. The scripture also gives us the history of humanity. It gives the history of your story and my story. Generally, we talk it around here, a God, man, Christ response. And again, ultimately, this written word gives us again with clarity uh, who the living word is, Jesus. Ultimately, the scriptures give us the living word, Jesus, and his love, his grace, his mercy, his passion, his justice, his life, his wisdom, his death, and his resurrection. 
And now he's ruling his kingdom for you and me. Again, last week we looked at verses 1 through 6 and, and David wanted us to look around in creation and look up to the stars and the Milky Way. And today he wants us to look down. He wants us to look down and get our eyes focused on the Word, the written Word that points us to the living Word, the man Christ Jesus. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Really, it's a one-point sermon. And you're like, oh man, one-point sermon, we're going to be here quick. But it's kind of like a Puritan sermon. It's a one-point sermon with seven sub-points, all right? So, so here we go. We might be here for a while. And here's the main thought. The big idea is God's glory is revealed through His Word in verses 7 through 11. 1 through 6, God's glory revealed through the world. 7 through 11, God's glory revealed through His Word. Now look at verse 7 with me. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise is simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the rules of the Lord are true and altogether righteous. And right off the bat, we see something here. Remember, the, the Psalms are, is not a didactic book. It's 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 a song. It's it's poetry. So we got to look through that lens. And here, what we see is is David is just giving us the sufficiency, this great summary in these six stanzas that summarize the glory of God through His Word. What what David's main thought here is like God's Word is sufficient. That's all we need. It's complete. It's comprehensive. This is what we need. And he's singing and he's posting it up and saying, hey, the written word is what we need for life and godliness. And we see how it's beautifully arranged, this this Hebrew song. And notice, there's six titles. Look at it real quick. Look, there's six titles here or six synonyms for the written word or the scriptures. It's the law. It's the testimony. It's the precepts. It's the command. It's the fear. And it's the rules. And then secondly, we see we see six characteristics of the written word or, or six adjectives. It kind of describes what the word is. And, and the word is what? It's perfect. It's sure. It's right. It's pure. It's clean. And it's true. Now, now, that, now, David could have stopped right there and he could have made this definitive statement in this song. The law of the Lord is perfect. And he could have stopped right there. The, the testimonies of the Lord are sure. He could have stopped right there. The precepts of the Lord are right. And he could have stopped right there. But he didn't. He, he took it a step further because the written word does something. It has an effect. It has an impact on our souls. You can't just read it and have it not impact you. So these, these, these final six, there's the six practical effects of the word on us. They, they, they produce something in our soul. It, it says that they revive the soul. They, they make you wise. They, they give you joy. They give you sight so you can see they endure forever and they are just. And so you can see how this is a, a comprehensive view of Scripture. That what we need for life and godliness in this world is all contained in His written Word. And also notice this, where these, where these uh, this stanza comes from. Who gives us the Word? These six titles, these six characteristics, these six personal effects flow from one source. What's that source? Look at it in your Bible. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. And notice again, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. You see, if you go back to verse 1, it says the heavens declare the glory of God. The word the God there just uses his, his general name, his name L. It's kind of a common name for God. And then in verses 1 through 6, it's only, it's only mentioned once. But again, David is getting down to give us a specific idea, a specific clarity of who this God is. That, that this, this God is Yahweh. 
It's the Lord. This is the covenant name of God. When, when uh, Moses got the name of the Lord, who shall send me? The Lord says, it's, it's Yahweh. It's I am. This is his personal, it's his covenantal name with Israel. So David is singing about something about this specific revelation and gives us the personal name of God. And notice it's mentioned seven times in the last seven verses, six times in verses seven through nine. And then the last time it's mentioned in the doxology where he just breaks out in praise in verse 14. And so this is what we're going to talk about today. So let's hear what the Lord has to say to you and to me this morning about his word. And again, we're going to spend most of our time in this first stanza in verse seven, talking about the perfect scriptures, and then we'll rip through the other ones. So here we are. Look at the first one. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Or it could be stated this way. The law of the Lord is blameless, restoring the soul. The, the law of the Lord is complete, turning us back to turning our souls back. And there could be some debate on which, what the order is. I don't know if there's an order within these. Again, it's a song, it's poetry, it's, just, it's declaring something. But I think this is the foundation of the rest of the verses to follow. That the, Lord of the, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. If we get this wrong, we're going to get the rest of the six, six, next seven verses wrong. But if we get this right, it's going to fuel our soul. It's going to fuel our life to joy. The law or instruction is the, again, is perfect, is blameless, is without error, and is totally sufficient for salvation and also, I believe, sanctification. I think, I think David has two meanings he's getting across here. Two meanings he's trying to get across here. But let's just look at this. Let's break it down first and foremost in its immediate context. What scripture, what word is David referring to here? The law of the Lord is perfect. Well, what's he referring to? In the immediate context, David is referring to what's called the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, of the Old Testament. And even more specifically, he's referring to the Ten Commandments, or as when we went through this in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Words. It's the Mosaic Covenant. This is what he's referring to. This is what he's saying is perfect. It's the, it's the covenant. It's the Ten Commandments. It's the Ten Words that summarizes the Mosaic Covenant. That's what David's looking towards. But we're looking back through the lens of Christ and we have even something even more perfect than what David has. We have the full canon. We have the full Bible. All 66 books written by 40 plus authors. We have the complete and total where David just had half of it done or a little bit more than half, right? Uh, we have the full canon. And so for us, we even have a better understanding than David did about the law of the Lord and how it revives the soul. This, this written word, he looked to God to revive the soul, the covenant-keeping God that, that, that Moses came encounter with in the Old Testament, the nation Israel, and the one that he now serves as king. But now we look through the lens of Jesus Christ, the living word, and it gives us a greater, it gives us a clearer picture of the perfect law for salvation and for sanctification. We know that, that David looked forward to the Messiah, to the Savior in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And that would be Jesus. As we look back, we know that Jesus is the one who came and complete this. And John says it this way, that Jesus became the Word, uh, and the Word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. So we have seen His glory even greater than David did. And we all in here kind of hold David up as one of the, the most holy men to ever exist or ever walk on planet Earth. And you and I have even more information in a purer word than David, because we have the full scriptures at our hand. And he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. I want to 
Well, let's think about perfection. How many of you guys have lived or had a perfect day in your life? Go ahead and raise your hand. Exactly. None of us have, right? We none have. So I'm like, man, how can we deal with this per- perfection? It's like, well, I can think I played baseball. And so I was like, man, I, I didn't have a perfect full day, but I've had some perfect baseball games, right? As an infielder, as a shortstop, I've had, a, I've had some games where I made every play. Every ball that was hit to me, every play I was supposed to make, I made, right? And then at, at the plate, I was two for two, four for four. I was perfect at the plate. In fact, I had two games where, and we won. So that was a, that's a perfect game. No errors in the field, perfect at the plate, and we win. That's a perfect game. And in the span of two games, I had, I, I had made all the plays, and I was 10 for 10. I got up 10 times and got 10 hits in a row. That's like unheard of, right? I'm talking about perfect, and we won those games. I'm like, so we all think about in your life where you might have had or tasted perfection in some little area of your life. Could have been sports, could have been business, could have been, I don't know. Who knows, right? Uh, creation, you know, you made a child. That's perfection, right? I don't know. All right. But, I mean, so think about that. But we know it's not that common. But here's the good news. We can, we can enjoy and we can taste and experience perfection every day when we pick up this Bible and read God's Word. Because it is perfect. It is perfect. When, when we stay up here every single week and in the middle of our service, right before we preach, we have everyone stand and we honor God's Word. And we say it's perfect. And it's at that moment, in the, in the gathering, in our service, that perfection You are experiencing perfection because we are reading the perfect Word of God. It's an incredible, an incredible thought. The Bible, the Scriptures that we hold in our hand are complete. They are perfect. And as Peter says, it it gives us everything that we need for life and godliness in in this world. And so notice the word, again, we said it produces something in us. And I said, I think David has two things in mind when he talks about revival or another synonym is restoration. I think the two things he has in mind is, is the word brings salvation and the word brings sanctification. And so this is what I mean. First of all, let's look at the word brings us to salvation. The scriptures return us back to true life and abundant life found in Christ. It, it saves us through the, the written word, the gospel. We know that sin has, everyone that has been born has been born into sin. We're all sinners at birth and, and we're separated from God, right? And we know that as we walk through this Genesis 3 world, that, that sin is destructive, it destroys, and, and, our, and, our, and our desire is to be the king or the queen of our own lives and we're running away from God. And then something happens where we see our lives are, are broke. They're, they're missing something. They're lacking meaning. And we need a Savior. And that's when the, the gospel and God's Word comes in. The written Word shows us our sin and then points us to the Savior, the living Word, Jesus. And then we repent of our sins and trust in Christ. Now, I want you to think about that. Every single one of us to have tasted and see the Lord is good has been saved that way. God could have saved us a million different ways. He could have saved each individual any way that he wanted, but he chose to save us through the written word and through the living word. The Lord's word applied by the Holy Spirit takes care of a cold, hard, dead, sinful heart, and it breathes new life into us, and we are called now new creations. And it's cool to think about. I mean, as we look around, and I, and I look around, and I know your stories. I know, I know many of you. 
And I know how many of you came to Christ. And you came to Christ differently than the way I came to Christ. Your life looked a lot different when the Lord met you with certain scriptures that gripped your heart because of the place that you were in in your life. And He used specific scriptures to meet you there just as He used specific scriptures to meet me in my need. Scriptures that rocked my world. That showed me that I needed a Savior. That I, needed, I couldn't save myself. There's nothing that I could have done to obtain salvation. And the Scripture showed me that I needed a Savior. Which then pointed me to Jesus. Pointed me to the Gospel. Pointed me to John 3.16. That for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that's how we all have the same testimony. We have all been saved by the Gospel, by repenting of our sins and putting our faith and trust in Jesus. And I'm just thinking about this, how amazing this is, because you can go back to day one, and this is how God has been moving in this world to save people. You think of Augustine, who lived some 1,600 years ago. He's one of the great heroes and fathers of our faith. He was, at the time, he was living a debaucherous life. He was living with a prostitute and living with a loose living. And one day he's just sitting in the park and all of a sudden he hears one of his neighbor kids say, take up and read, take up and read. And by chance, there's a Bible sitting right next to him. And he picks up to read and he says, I'll, I'll read. You just point me to the one verse. And he opens up and he turns to this verse in Romans 13, 13. Again, he was living with a prostitute and living this debaucherous life. And he said this, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. His heart was cut to the quick right there. And there he repented and trusted. His he looked to John 3.16. He looked to the living word for salvation. You think of Martin Luther in Germany. He lived some 450 years ago. And the scripture that convicted his heart was Romans 1.17. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And then you go back to 1990 of March. And the scripture that the Lord used for my life was Jeremiah 9.23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, not that the wise man boasts of his wisdom or the mighty man boasts of his might. Or the, or the, um, or the um, rich man boasts of his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows and understands me, that I am the Lord who exercises love and kindness, righteousness and justice on his earth. For I delight in these things. That was a scripture that, that, that made me look. Cause I, was pursuing, I was pursuing fame and sports and money. And the Lord convicted me. He said, no, that's not going to satisfy. What's going to satisfy is that you know and understand me. And that took me to John 3.16 or the gospel. And I repented and trusted in him. What was the written word that convicted you as you look at your life, as you look at your testimony, as you look at you when the Lord came and spoke? What was the Lord? What was he impressing on you? What scriptures did he use to you to bring you to the living word, to bring you to Jesus Christ? So first we see that the law of the Lord is perfect because it, it restores the soul back to salvation, but also to sanctification. You want to mean by sanctification, it makes us more and more like Christ. This is how Jesus put it. John 17, 17, sanctify him in truth. Your word is truth. I think David breaks out in song. In the glory of his salvation in Psalm 19, again, not only for his salvation, but also for his sanctification. I, 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 I mean, you think about David. Was David a perfect man? No. In fact, if we would be like shocked if, 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 if we think the Lord said, like, this is a guy after my own heart, right? Because he was an adulterer. He was a, a murderer. We would be shocked. And this is why I think David 
is looking to Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul because it's the law, it's the word that restores his heart back to the Lord when he's in sin. When he's like Humpty Dumpty that fell off the wall again and got cracked and cracked and the Lord came in and put him all back together again. It was the Lord's loving kindness and his grace. And I think this is why David is singing this song at the top of his lungs that the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Restoring the soul. Because David battled with much of the same sins that you and I battle on an everyday basis. Right? David was depressed. David felt betrayal. He was lonely. He was disappointed. He failed. Right? How about you? Are you you feeling any of those things right now? And the only thing that could restore David back was the Word. Was God. Was His relationship with the, the One who does keep His promises regardless of what we do. The covenant Yahweh. And that's why we see David pens verse 10. And verse 10 should be circled, underlined, and marked in your Bible where David just sings out that God's Word is more desirable than gold. Yes, much even much fine gold. And it's sweeter than even the sweetest honeycomb. What David is saying there is that God's Word is more desirable than treasures and more desirable than physical pleasures. And the reason why is because treasures and physical pleasures... Where David was, when he was depressed, when he doubted, when he was disappointed, where he failed. Those things didn't meet his soul. Those things couldn't meet his soul. They might give a a temporary distraction and think that he's mean, but they they didn't fulfill that. His soul was parched. He needed something more than than money. He needed something more than good food or even medicine. Because the things that he was dealing with was in his soul, was in his heart. And there's only one thing that can deal with your heart and with your soul. And that's this. It's God's Word. It's the, it's the written Word and it's the living Word working through this. Because these battles, these struggles are the struggles of the soul. You know them just as well as David knows them. Some of you right now are in, are in some deep valleys and you're dealing with some of this stuff. And, and, and the tendency is to look out there somewhere for help. To satisfy your soul. But here's the answer. The answer is in God's word. That reveals and points us to Jesus, the living word. This past week, I was in life group. This is why life group is so important. This is why we need each other in our lives. We, we, in our life group, we were getting together and we're, we're just going around the room and we're just saying, hey, what's, how you guys doing? What's going on? And, and you can see every single family, why there were, there was some excitement. There was some joy. Things were going well, but everyone was also battling some, some tough stuff. Some difficult stuff. And, 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 and from the gamut, from physical to, to some spiritual, to doubt and to depression, to, to all kinds of, of stuff that they were battling, just like David. And I was just thinking like, man, we got nothing to help. Uh, we, we, we can throw out some platitudes, but we, we got nothing. What we need is God's Word. We need Jesus to show up. And I love it. We have Miss Tina. Where's Miss Tina? Is she here? She's usually here. Where is it? There, Miss Tina. Stand up, Miss Tina. I got to point Miss Tina out. Because Miss Tina, that's right, that's Miss Tina. Yeah, this lady has been through the wars. And, and she was like the second to last one. I don't know, we had like 15, 20 adults in there sharing. She's just like, the Lord is sufficient. 
His word is sufficient. Point us back to Jesus. And I'm like, yes and amen. That's the answer to our needs. Just like David said thousands of years ago, it's the same answer. We need the written word that tells us about the living word, Jesus. That is what's going to cure us. That's why our life group is going to go through the gospel center life this year, because even though there's a handful of us that have been through it two or three times, we never graduate from the gospel. We never graduate from God's written word. We never graduate from Jesus. He's there to again put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And when he puts us back together again, we're stronger. And we'll fall over again, but we're stronger. We'll put us back up, we'll put us back together. That's that sanctification process. He's working through the scriptures and the gospel. Therefore, the cure to your soul, the cure to your soul's longing this morning, right now, this minute, this second, is found in the written word. That points us to the living word, Jesus. So if you're struggling with depression or doubt, if you're struggling with disappointment or failure, if you're just strugg- struggling with anxiety, I just read a quote this last week that like 36% um, of the mental health issues have, in particular with anxiety, have just risen through the roof. 36% anxiety and disorder has just taken off over the last year. No kidding. I wonder why. The word of God, Jesus, is the answer to cure that. So we want to build ourselves on the, the word of the Lord because it's, rep- it's perfect. It's going to revive your soul if you need salvation. It's going to restore your soul in the process of sanctification. So pick it up and read. Just like Augustine heard that voice. Take it up and read. Take it up and read. Okay, we're going to rip through the, the rest of them. Uh, the, the sure scriptures in verse 7b it says the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The testimony is sure. It means it's, it's faithful. It's, it's trustworthy. It's, it's established. God's word is trustworthy. We, we all trust something or someone, right? Who or what can you trust with your life? Think about that right now. Who or what do you trust with your life? All of us trust in something or someone, we trust our spouse. We trust our parents. We, we trust the banks that are holding our money. We trust our insurance agents. We trust our doctors. We, we trust, like if you're in school right now, in particular college, if you take these, these certain classes, you're going to get this degree, right? But none of them are perfect. One of the things I love to do is go out and fly fish. And when I go up the Big Thompson or the Poudre River, I got a, I got a trustworthy combination. I know if I use this combination of a, a Prince Nymph on top and a great RS2 on the bottom, that I'm going to catch fish. It's a trustworthy combination. But sometimes it doesn't get results. But that's not true with God's Word. This is trustworthy because it's, it's true 100% of the time. It never fails. It never falters. It always catches its fish, right? It's perfect. It's pure. And God's word is trustworthy 100% of the time. And as we walk in his testimonies and his instruction, as we read the scriptures, and as we believe them, it's going to make us wise. It's going to make us wise. It's going to give us wisdom on how to live in this world, in our lives. It's going to help us make correct choices in this world. There's a difference between knowing something and then walking in wisdom. Knowing something is intellectual. Wisdom is walking, is, is knowledge applied. Is knowledge applied. Now, we all have those, those friends, right? We, we all have those friends that are like off the charts smart, right? We call them smarty pants, right? Anyone got any smarty pants friends? Raise your hand. Got those smarty pants friends? And they're, they're, they're smart as all get out. 
but they don't know how to cook like macaroni and cheese, right? That's like a trouble. They struggle to do that, right? They have all this head knowledge, but they don't, how to, they don't know how to apply the wisdom. We all do that, but not with the Lord. The testimonies of the Lord is sure. It makes the wise the simple. So again, pick up God's word. Take up and read because it's going to make you wise. It's going to give you insight. It's going to give you wisdom on how to live and navigate this world. Third, we see the, the right scriptures in verse 8. It says the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The precepts or the statues are right. That means that they're right. They're, they're correct. They're, they're level. How many of you in here have, have built something that, that needed, you needed to use a level to make sure things were straight? Maybe you hung two pictures together, right? Maybe you, you built a house, some of the people in here, or a basement. Like we have a Caleb on the, on the back of our building. He's rebuilding our staircase out there. I don't know if you guys noticed that as you walked in. And I walked out this week. I was like, man, how's he, how's he going to make this thing right? How's he going to build it right? And the first thing that I saw is he had a level out there. He had a level. I'm like, all right, a level. He's going to make it right. And so, again, if, you, if you've done this, you, you, chances are you've used a level. And what does a level do? It does exactly that. It gives you, it gives you a straight line. It, it gives you a straight line. It makes sure things are, again, level. And this is what the precepts of the Lord are. This is what the Word of God is. It, it's going to give you a, a level, straight path to walk on. It's going to give you a little straight path to walk on that's going to lead you to fullness of joy. That's going to lead you to pleasure. It's going to lead you to happiness as you follow God's words, as you obey His precepts. But all of us in here know the other path, the crooked path, the disjointed path, the ungulating path, right? Uh, the path that that we get off because we don't obey the precepts of the Lord. We think, oh, I think I know how to do it better. I'm going to go this way. And we go our own route with our own wisdom. And that leads to, a lot of times, it leads us to some sorrow. It leads to some pain. It leads to some discomfort. It doesn't lead to lasting joy. And the Lord is saying, hey, get back to the written word. Get back to His precepts because they are going to lead you on the path of joy. They're straight and they are right. And again, we can use this to look at all the different things out there that we got to deal with. What the what the um, what it addresses these precepts? It addresses relationships. It addresses marriage. It addresses parenting. It addresses how to how to work. It addresses how to run a business. It addresses all the social issues of the day, whether we're dealing with race, whether we're dealing with babies in the womb, whether we're dealing with uh, any any kind of world government. It uh, it deals again with work. It deals with money. It deals with calling. Uh, we we live in Fort Collins, Colorado, and in Fort Collins, Colorado, we love our food and we love our beer, right? That's, that's what we're known for. We're, we're a foodie community. And the Word guides and directs us even on that, on how we should eat and how we should drink. You take like alcohol. The Bible says that in Psalm 104 that, that wine gladdens the heart. In moderation, wine and beer and, and, and the, that we have, that, that, that God has given us to make through these things, it's like, yeah, it's good. It, make, it, it, it tastes good. Right? In moderation. But then it says, but don't abuse it. Don't abuse it. Because Ephesians 5 says, don't get drunk, for that is debauchery. All of us in here know what alcohol can do when it's, when it's abused, right? It can lead in a tailspin. It can, lead to, it can lead to destruction. It can lead to blow up in families, blow up your life. And the Lord is saying, hey, enjoy, but enjoy in moderation. It gives us the precepts so that we can stay on a straight line. But if you have gone over and got off on the crooked path, whatever that may have been, 
Here's the good news of the gospel. It takes us back to the first precept where the God brings you back and restores your soul. You recognize that you've gotten off and you need to get back on the straight path. And by God's grace, he brings you back. He loves you. And he wants you back on the straight path. So listen, the Lord wants you and I to have ultimate joy. He wants the best for us in this life now. And it's found through his precepts. And we get that again by picking up and taking up his word and believing it. The pure scriptures in 8b, the commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Uh, the pure means lucid. It means clear. The word of God doesn't give us like hazy or, or cloudy direction or vision to follow. But it's very bright. It's very lucid. It's very pure. It's unadulterated. It's, it's clean. We understand when we, when we walk, sometimes the sin and flesh get up and it kind of clouds our view, right? We've all experienced that. It clowns our view. It darkens our path. And we don't know where to take the next step or what. If we do take that next step, it's going to be painful or hurtful. But the word comes in like a radiant light. It just opens our eyes. It brightens our path. As Psalm 119 says, your, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It gives us clear direction that we can see, that we can go, that we can walk down. <laughs> There's a funny story that I always think about this story when I'm thinking about this point in Scripture on like, how do you know if you're ready to have children? It's the Lego toy test, okay? And what you do is you go over to a friend's house who has a little baby. Baby's sleeping. And what they do is they blindfold you. And then they take a 55-gallon drum and just throw Legos all over the floor, right? And if you don't have Legos, you could use um, nails or you could use broken glass, right? And you blindfold them and you say, okay, now I want you to walk to the bathroom. I want you to walk to the bedroom and I don't want you to make a sound. Even if you step on one of these little suckers, right? Because you don't want to wake the baby. I think of this because how many, how many of you first have experienced a toy test? Go ahead and raise your hand like you felt it. Yeah, I thought I was done with that until my wife started watching some of your kids again. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. We love your kids. <laughs> but the, the, why, why it brings me back is because some of you in here right now, you, you, your, view, your view has been clouded. It's, it's been darkened because you've gotten away from the word. You've gotten away from the living word and you, you're trying to do it on your own and, and you're scared to death to take another step because you know it's just pain as soon as that foot is going to hit the ground. You're scared to death to take another step. You can't see where you're going. It's not clear, so you don't want to move. It's paralyzed you. And this morning, the, the Lord is calling you particularly right now in this moment. He's telling you to, to look to verse 8. The commandments of the Lord is pure and light in the eyes. Look back to His Word. Look back to Jesus. He's going to give you the right path in which you are to walk on. The Word of God is here to shine the clear and bright life on your path so you can see where you're going and it's going to help you navigate this, this difficult world that we're in. So, so take up your Bible and read. And that leads us to the final two real quick. The clean scriptures, verse 9. The fear of the Lord is enduring forever. As clean as enduring forever. You hear this all the time. Oh, the Bible, it's outdated. It's a bunch of stories. It's a bunch of fables. It's a bunch of myths, right? We hear that all the time. Well, for the past several thousands of years. In fact, since the beginning of Adam and Eve, the beginning of creation, God has been directing His people, has been directing this word world through His Word. 
This one quote, I, I think it's Spurgeon that I got here. It says this, any culture, any time, any nation, any period, the word of God is relevant. Open the word of God and let it loose. It's like a lion. You don't defend it. You just let it out. It's okay on its own. It's powerful. It endures forever. It is always relevant to every person in every period of time, in every place in the world, in every language. Amen? Why? Because the Word deals with the issues of the heart, the issues of the soul, as well as the outward issues that we face. The Word of God is, is clean and endures forever. And finally, the, the true Scriptures in 9b, the rules that, or the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. You want to judge correctly? You want to have correct insight on, on what's going on in your life? You want to have correct insight on how to deal with people? You want correct insight on how to deal the social issues of the day? We pick up the written Word because it is clear. It is true. They are righteous altogether. No judgment is tainted from the Lord. He gives us eyes to see so that we can judge righteously and correctly. So this is what David, this is why David is singing. You can, you can see why David is singing, can't you? And how much more should we be singing since we have the more complete, the more perfect law? We have God's complete word in here. The 66 books. So right now, I'm sure some of these principles have hit you right where you're at. This is, this is the perfect word. Do you need to be even saved this morning? Do you, do you see your life and you see the direction it's going? And you're like, man, it's, there's, some, there's some good times, but it, it, it's, it's marked. I'm suffering. I'm hurting. I'm pain. I don't know what to do. Then look to Jesus because he'll give you the straight path. Or maybe some of us in here have gotten away and we need, again, it's that sanctification process. Our, our souls are in that, that place of depression or despair. We need God's word. It's the sure word. It's the right word. It's the pure word. It's the clean word and it's the true word. We need to pick up this word and, and meditate on it day and night. And that leads us to the final two verses. The, finally, the response to the glory of God's revealed in this word. Look at verses 12 through 14. He says, and I love this because David is just being honest. He just, he just talked about how perfect this word is. And, he, and he's, he's looking at his life and he goes, my life is not perfect. I'm not perfect. Anyone relate to that? I'll raise my hand first and foremost. Our lives aren't perfect. What's perfect is this word. And this is where you see David's humility. You say he's just being honest. That's what I love about the scriptures. It's, it's gritty. It's real. It's honest. You see David struggling. And he's saying right now, he's saying in verse 12, who can discern his errors? Who can, who can discern his sins? And he, and, he, and, he, and he confesses and he throws himself on the mercy and love of the Lord because he knows who the Lord is because he's been revealed in his word. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. That means that all of us have these secret sins, these sins of uh, uh, omission that we commit that we don't even know we're committing. And he says, Lord, take care of those. And then he says, keep, keep back your servant from those presumptuous sins, those, those sins where we are willfully disobeying, sins of commission. Let not them have dominion over me. Is there, is there something that has dominion over you that you just can't seem to, 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 to win right now? Some sin has dominion over you? Says, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And then he ends with this great doxology in verse 14. He looks to the, the one that has been revealed to him throughout the ages, the covenant Lord. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I don't know about you, but I was, when I get to verse 14, I want to sing with David. The, the, these two last verses, these two last lyrics, these stanzas, I want to sing with David. I sing with David, don't you? 
Don't you sing with David? Isn't this your heart? If we're honest right now, isn't this your heart that, that you want to be declared innocent from those hidden sins, or even those presumptuous sins? Don't you want the Lord to look upon you and say, like, clean, blameless, innocent? Don't you want to you know, get over that one sin that seems to have dominion over you? I know I do. And he's telling us to look to the Lord. Look to the Lord. And first, he, again, he does so we, what the gospel does. At first, we can't find the strength to overcome our sins in ourselves. He, he, again, he points us back. That's why he started with general revelation. He points us back that there is a God who's powerful, that's creative, that designs. And then he gives them his name. It's, 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 it's Yahweh, the covenant keeping Lord. And that's who we look to to cover up our sins. We, we, we look to Jesus. We look to his life, his death, his resurrection, what he has accomplished in our place. And when we do that, and that's the foundation, and that's what we stand on, that's what our trust is, that's what our hope is, is what Christ has done, not what we can do. And then we will be blameless because we're covered in the righteousness of Jesus. Regardless of what you did last night, if you went out and had a drunken fest, if you did some immorality, or if you lied, or you cheated, or you stealed, but you're in Christ, you, you repent and trust in Him, and His righteousness covers you. He sees you as a child, His child. He sees you as a saint. That's incredible. That's scary because He sees you through what Jesus has done for you. He sees Jesus' righteousness on you. And that, I tell you what, is that's where joy is. That's where hope is found. That's where security is found. Again, not in our own ability, but what Jesus has done for us. Then I shall be blameless. It's understanding that the Lord is pleased with you. Even when you have sinned, even when you have faltered, that you have been accepted again because of what Jesus has done for you. His life, His death, His resurrection. And when we start there, then we can take that next step on understanding on how we can take up and read, how we can respond properly. And the response is to look and study and meditate on our Bibles. Now, there's, I know, a lot of us in here, because even at Life Group, there are people like that, that even confess, they're like, man, I don't want to pick up my Bible and read right now. I don't have a desire to do that right now. I'm in a funk. And I know many of you guys are here and you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit when we say take up and read, take up and read. But here's the thing. Conviction alone won't do it. You got to have a plan. You got to have a plan. We can we can all walk out of this this building right now and be like, I'm going to get into the word more. I'm going to read more. I'm convicted. I feel, yes, Lord, I'm coming back. Yes. But we need a plan. And so create a plan to help you undergird that conviction. A plan. I'm going to read my Bible more. Yes and amen. I want to read it every day. Yes and amen. Well, what's the plan? How are you going to execute that plan? And I would say, let's, let's think of a plan. Write up a plan. And make it a realistic plan, right? Don't be like, hey, I'm going to read the whole Bible tomorrow, right? Like, that's not realistic. That's not going to happen. Just say, but a plan. Be like, hey, I'm going, to, I'm going to read a chapter a day. Chapter a day. Start out easy. That's like, that could be like five to six minutes of your day. That's a, that's a realistic plan. On August 29th, a couple weeks from now, we're going to start the book of Hebrews. Just say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start reading the book of Hebrews every day. A little portion, even if it's three or four scriptures. Just start to get the Word of God into you. And let it point you and meditate on the living Word, Jesus. And now also ask for accountability. 
Do it with a friend. Do it with a partner, someone in a life group, someone in a journey group, a schoolmate, a classmate, a teammate, whatever. Have a plan. Don't just let conviction sit in, but have a plan. Act on that conviction. It's really not that difficult. We all need it. We all need to be encouraged in this area. Let me just leave you with this last story. I might, I might have shared this. I'm sure I've shared this story with you because it impacted me so much. Going back to verse 10 of Psalm 19 about how the, how the Word of God is more desirous than, than gold and than treasures or, 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 or physical pleasures. It was about, a, a, I think it was a woman in, in Europe and uh, she loved her Bible. She was a Christian gal. Loved her Bible, loved studying it, meditating on it, just consumed it. It was, it was the lamp unto her feet, it was a light unto her path. But then she got, she got struck down with a sickness. And the sickness caused blindness in her. And at first she's like, oh man, I, gotta, I, I can't read my Bible anymore. What am I going to do? Well, she learned Braille, right? She learned Braille so she could read her Bible in Braille. And she would just consume the Bible in Braille so much that she began to get calluses on her fingertips. To the point where she read it so much that she couldn't, she didn't have the sensitivity in her fingers to read the scriptures anymore. She was just like heartbroken because she's like, I, I, I can't see it, I can't read it, I can't use my fingers. Now what am I going to do? So she goes to kiss the word goodbye, her Braille Bible, and she finds out that her lips are more sensitive than her fingers, and she starts to read the Bible with her lips. That's more desirous. And that's incredible, isn't it? That's an incredible testimony. But you know what? There's, it, there's even a next step. And, and, and the next step is, there was a gentleman, I think he was from Scotland or something, came over to the Americas in the Denver area, worked in the mountains and the mines somewhere. A non-believer, kind of a hasty dude, kind of a roughneck kind of dude. In the early 1900s, I think the article was written in 1913 about him. And he says that, you know, he was just a hard-nosed dude working in the mines. Well, he, he had an accident with some dynamite. It kind of took off his, his hands and it, and it just kind of fried his face where, you know, and he was just like, now what? And then, then remember people would share the gospel with him. So he had no hope. There was no, there's no worldly treasure that could fix his predicament. There's no physical pleasure that could fix his, fix his predicament. So he turned to the written word that told us about, told him about the living word, Jesus. He repented and trusted in Christ. And, and he's like, well, he heard the story of this lady in Europe that went, you know, to read the word with her eyes, to went blind and started to read it in Braille and then kissed it. And he's like, I don't have, I don't know, I don't have any hands to read the word. I, I can't see I'm blind. I, my, my, my mouth is, you know, my lips are, are fried, all the nerves or whatever because of this, this explosion. <laughs> so he started to read the Bible with his tongue. His tongue. More desirous than gold. Or sweeter than a honeycomb. This is the word. This book is what's going to give you everything that you need. Everything that I need for life and godliness. Take it up and read it. Because it points you to the living water. That will quench the thirst that your soul has. Now and forevermore. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Psalm 19. Lord, it's an incredible psalm. It, it caused David, one of the heroes of the faith, faith to, to break out in song. He, he looked at creation. He looked around him. He looked up and he was overwhelmed with the, the stars and the sun and the, 
and the, the sandstorms and the trees. He was overwhelmed with creation, but then I point him to the, the covenant keeping God through the specific revelation of your word, which pointed him to you. And Lord, he was just overwhelmed. And, and Lord, we have a fuller revelation. We have a more perfect revelation because we are looking back. And, and not only do we know um, who this God is, but we know him personally. He knows us personally in the name of Jesus. He is our Lord. He's our King. He's our, he's our great shepherd that leads, guides, and directs us, Lord. So I pray right now, if there's anyone in here that, that when they walk out these doors, that first and foremost, that their soul is revived, that first that the law, the gospel, Jesus, that they looked to you for salvation through repentance and faith. And for those of us that, that, that have done that, Lord, we need your word. We need your gospel. We need you even that much more. We need, because we're all like Humpty Dumpty. We keep falling over and cracking. And we need to be put back together again. And Lord, in you, you, you look at us and, and you see your child, your son, your daughter. And you're not angry with us. You're not disappointed with us. You love us. And you come and you pick us up and you put us back together again. And you say, go, my son, my child. Follow in my ways. And in your life, you're going to have fullness of joy. So Lord, I just pray that we again look to your word and we look to the living word, Jesus, for everything that pertains to life and godliness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.